Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Hey, I thought today, right now, we can start our our time together just by putting our attention where it needs to be. Listen, I know that you're at home or you're somewhere watching this message online, and I know how difficult it is, really, in this season with all those distractions that are around you. Maybe you have your kids that are running around, and it's really hard right now to just sit and to focus and to receive what God has for you. But I believe that even in this season, if we could hold on to those words that, that in God alone, he has control over everything that is going on in our lives. You alone, God, are worthy of our praise and adoration and of our worship. And so even right now, knowing that it might be crazy in your house, if we could just fix our eyes on him and just worship him, let's just do that just through prayer, just going before God as we prepare our hearts to hear from him today. God, I ask right now that you would meet us in these moments together in a nation that is divided, in a nation of uncertainty and unknown and constantly changing and shifting uh, atmosphere of of what is required and what is not required and what are we gonna do uh, with a virus and what are we gonna do with school and what are we gonna do with, with work? Right now, God, here's what I believe. You're telling us that matters most if we would just fix our attention on you and fix our gaze on you. God, that you would give us this, this peace that, that surpasses our understanding and we desperately need that peace today. Maybe now more than ever, we need the peace of God in our life. And so we come before you right now and we prepare to open up your word and have you teach our hearts. And I just pray that no matter what's going on and no matter who's watching online, that this word would go out, that it would not return void, God, but you would bless it, that it would take root in good soil. And good soil does not mean distraction-free soil. But what it does mean, it means a heart that's open and ready to receive all that you have for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, what I want to do before I even jump in to the message right now is to share my heart with you about this season that we're in and really where we're going at the beginning of the new year. 2020 is nearly over. And next weekend, we are going to serve our city like crazy. We're gonna demonstrate a radical generosity. We're gonna help hundreds and hundreds of families with some free gifts for their children this year. And it's just gonna be an epic time together. And that means next weekend, the only church worship service will be the church serving as an act of worship. Come on. So you need to be a part of that. Let's go. Let's do this together. This is an all call, and you can be a part of this great Christmas outreach opportunity. Now, that's going to be followed by a very special Christmas Eve worship experience at home for you to enjoy with your friends and with your your family. We're going to even have watch parties here at the church as well. And you're going to hear more information about those this coming week. 
But then starting in January, January 3rd, we will only be offering two in-person worship services on Sundays at 9 and 11. But listen to me, in person. And we're going to start the year uh, hoping to quickly bring back the Saturday 5 p.m. But here's what it's going to look like. We're going to worship together. We're going to have our kids' areas open. We're going to have our coffee open. We're just, all our teams are going to be back. And, and some people will be in masks and some will not be in masks. And here's what I realize. This could make some of you uncomfortable, or it might even stir up different emotions or even drama, but hear my heart. My intention is not to create drama, more drama in a world that's been dominated by it. My intention is not to, to stick it to the man and do what I wanna do anyway. That's, that's not my intention. Here's my heart. The church is a hospital. The church is for the sick and for the, the hurting. It's where the, the broken can be restored. It's where the lost and the searching uh, for hope and meaning and purpose in their life can be found by Christ. Where those who are drowning can be rescued. This is a rescue house. This is a house of restoration. In fact, it was Jesus who said, I didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. He said, I, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to start 2021 with a repeat of 2020. Now, of course, I know it is not up to me. It's not up to me. It's not about me. It's not up to you or about you that this pandemic is greater than us all. But can I tell you something? I know someone who is greater than the pandemic. I know someone who holds the world in his hands. He holds your life in his hands as well. In fact, there is not a second of your life that is unknown to God, not a single one that he authored the moments of your life before you even took a breath. So he is ultimately in control. And so I guess here's what we're saying. We're not going to legislate your ability to choose how you worship God and learn from his word. And since currently, and I say currently, houses of worship are not under any government mandates or laws, we're not gonna impose our own on you. We are not the medical police. God has given you a brain, so use it. Listen, don't come if you're sick. Distance yourself as you, you want to. At some point, wisdom and common sense have to rule the day because some of you are finding, uh, are riding shoulder to shoulder on an airplane for two to three hours with a couple hundred people. And I know you're saying, well, I have to fly. My work is essential. Can I tell you something? I kind of feel the exact same way about the church, that it is essential. But what if this, Colby, or, or what if that? I don't know about you, but I can drown in all the what ifs. And if it's, it's not that there isn't any wisdom in considering all the what ifs, but, but when what if leads to fear instead of to wisdom, Listen, God says that did not come from him, that he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So let's, let's lean into the love part. Let's lean into the sound mind part. And of course, we will continue to be committed to bringing you the very best live online worship experience that we can so that many of you can continue that pattern of worshiping at home. And listen, that's great. Like, I need you to know, you are just as much a part of the church, no matter where you are. And I honestly say all this simply to let you know where we're headed in 2021, because you have truly been an amazing 
church. You've been rolling with this season. You've been relying on God. You've been serving in our city. And I truly believe that 2021 is going to be the best year yet. Are you with me? Come on, if you're with me, throw up some praise hands online. Throw up some praise hands in the chat. Come on, we're just gonna run after 2021 hard. All right. Well, today I wanna share a thought with you. Uh, In fact, when I first heard this thought, when I first heard a pastor, a friend of mine, give this talk, I was like, I have to share this with my church. Because if I ever say anything good, chances are it ain't come from me. It came from someone else or or my wife. I'm just just not that smart, right? I'm smart enough to learn though. Come on, somebody. But I'm going to do my best to give it to you like I heard it, or at least in the same spirit that I heard it. And although it was originally an Easter message, how many of you know? that the whole point of Christmas was so that there would be an Easter. In fact, if you don't know, you're about to find out. You're about to find out. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter one, Matthew one. And while you're turning there, let me ask you this question. Uh, How many of you already have your Christmas tree up? Like hopefully you do. Is everybody ready to go? Thanks to my wife, ours has been up since Halloween. Like she loves to extend the Christmas season as long as she possibly can. And how many of you know there are different kinds of Christmas tree people out there? Uh, of course, we have the, the real tree people, right? Those are those of you that go out and you kill your own tree. You go out trekking through the deep snow and only, you know, when the family is complaining about the cold and, and someone's eyes are frozen shut, is it really Christmas? Hello, Christmas vacation. You're the, it's not Christmas unless I chop something down myself. Like, where are all my chop it down myself people? Let us know online. Put that in the chat. Yeah, yeah, these are the people that you're not happy unless you make a family of squirrels homeless. That's the, I'm gonna chop down my own tree. And then we have the people that I call the, the lazy real tree people. Like, you want all the street cred of having a real tree without any of the work. You just show up at, at the Christmas tree lot at Home Depot or, or Lowe's and you, know, you pick out the biggest one that you can that will fit into your living room. Now these people right here, you are an interesting breed because you don't mind the death of an innocent tree. You just don't wanna be the one who personally sees to it. You, do the, you outsource the chopping down of the tree. Are you with me? Because you don't want any of the blood on your hands. Where's my real tree people without the real work? Come on, let us know. Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand, put it, put it up high there in the chat. Hit the third category. These are the people that you don't wanna go trekking through the wilderness, nor do you wanna go hit up the Christmas tree lot. These are the people who make the long, arduous voyage down to the basement or the attic to retrieve the box where they put the tree after last Christmas. Come on, is that anybody watching right now? Yeah, don't be ashamed. Come on, let us know I'm in this category. You wanna know why? One word, pre-lit. That's all I'm saying. Pre-lit. It is a gift from God above because putting lights on the tree is the absolute worst ever. Now all I have to do is simply connect three pieces together. There's no monkeying around with tangles. There's no strands of lights that don't work or or fishing for the, the one loose bulb, you know, because the whole strand is out. But we all have different traditions in regards to our Christmas tree. But here's what I know, at some point during the Christmas season, once the star is put on top or the the angel, like where are my star people? 
Come on, raise your hand. If you're a star person, you love Jesus. You put a star on the top of your tree, you're going to heaven. Uh, how about none? How about the all natural kind of look trees? We're, we're all my commando tree people. Yeah, yeah, let us know. But at some point, right, we're all gonna sit down with our family, whatever your family looks like this year. And maybe it's with, with mugs of hot chocolate. Maybe it's, uh, you know, with some Harry Connick Jr. Christmas in the background. That's what you're gonna hear around my house. Or, or you know, at some point, you're gonna get to telling the Christmas story. And for our family, it happens for us on Christmas morning, generally around the tree. And I adopted this tradition from, from my wife's family, but we'll tell it Christmas morning. And you're telling the story, you're telling about Mary and, and Joseph and baby Jesus. And in the moment, it can seem like such a beautiful and charming and rustic story. But here's what I want you to understand. Christmas looks better from a distance. Like in reality, Christmas had a rough start, did it not? Like if you remember the story, an angel shows up to a virgin, Mary, and tells her, hey, you're pregnant by God. And so now Mary has to explain that to her husband-to-be. She's like, hey, Joseph, uh, honey, I have something I gotta tell you. And, and so Joseph you know, was gonna call the whole thing off until the angel approached him and said, no, 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 you know, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, just trust me. So the family thing almost didn't even happen. And then Mary certainly could have been stoned to death by zealots who were convinced that she was an, an adulterer. And even when Joseph said, okay, you know, I'll go along with this, man, imagine the conversations because people can do the math, right? Wait, your marriage was when? And Jesus was born when? I see what's going on here. You know, let me see your pool boy or, or let me see, you know, who is this guy's, you know, real dad? And then, and then Mary and Joseph, of course, they went traveling through the wilderness. And the Bible says, while she was great with child. Translation, while she was about to pop, right? She, while she was great with tra child traveling up to seven days from, from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem because they had to be counted in a census that was being taken. See, the pictures of the star and of the stable and of Mary and Joseph traveling across the countryside and the wise men, those, those all look great on our Christmas cards. But when the actual story was unfolding in real time, I can sh assure you, no one was like, all is calm, all is bright. There wasn't a lot of calm. There wasn't a lot of, of, of calm happening in the original Christmas. And then about two years later, when the Moazmans showed up, right, they had to sneak home another way because there was a crazy king named Herod who was so insecure that he was trying to kill the baby Jesus and killing as many babies as he had to in order to get to him. So that's what's going on during the first Christmas. Now, it looks good in our nativity scene that's on top of your fireplace or your coffee table, but I can assure you, Christmas looks better from a distance. In fact, I submit that perhaps this year, out of any other year, 2020, we can relate more to an all is not calm kind of Christmas, could we not? A Christmas that is marked by a pandemic uh, Christmas is marked by no gatherings and, or shutdown or, or contact tracing and all these, these calls. It kind of feels like taking a census. But perhaps we can relate more to the fact that things, you know, things are just a little jacked up. And normally when we tell the Christmas story, we, we start with Mary. 
And we start with Joseph and the angels and, and the shepherds that are keeping watch over their flocks by night. We start with all of that. And that's in Luke 2 and in Matthew 2. But how many of you know one always comes before two? And where the Christmas story truly begins is in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 begins Christmas this way. It says this, the, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. In other words, this is his ancestry. This is his family tree. This is the, the Christmas story according to Matthew, the tax collector. This is what it says. The genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of, of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, uh, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amenadab, Amenadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. We finally get to David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Skip down to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus. So there he is, the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus who is called the Messiah. Verse 17 says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, and 14 generations from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. It says there were 42 generations in total. What, what is this? This is the genealogy of Jesus. This is, this is Jesus's family tree. It's the bloodline of how Jesus got here. It's generation after generation after generation that eventually led to the Messiah. Now, most of us are like, why do we need to know that? Like, why do we care? Because we live in a day, right, where figuring out this sort of thing is, is really little more than a novelty. Because you can go on Ancestry.com or you can go on 23andMe and you can find out, right, who led to who, that led to who, that led to who, that eventually led to you. But in Jesus' day, your genealogy was a big deal because your family tree was your credibility. It sets you apart. Often it decided your career, it decided your calling. It opened up doors for you that might not be open for someone else. In fact, the best way to understand how big of a deal your genealogy is would be to describe it for you in terms of your resume or if you're a designer, your portfolio, because that would open doors for you. It would get you a job or, or not get you the job. It would, it would get you into the right circles, into the right conversations. It would tell, you know, if you were qualified for that, that job or had the experience. So your genealogy was a big, big deal. Are you with me? It was either your qualifier or your disqualifier. It, it was the access key or it was the, the exit door. And if that's true for the people in this period, for position and calling and career, then listen, how much more true would it be in the case of Jesus, who the text tells us is the Messiah? Because the Messiah was essentially this, this superhero, larger than life character who was prophesied to come and save the world. He, he would rule and reign forever. Now, spoiler alert, if you've never read the, the Bible from cover to cover, uh, that's how the story ends. 
that he does come back. He does rule and reign forever. But in order for someone to be the Messiah, you had to fulfill a very specific criteria. In fact, a lot of criteria. There were around 700 prophecies that were given regarding the Messiah in the Old Testament. Very specific things that had to be true of you in order to be the Messiah. Now, I'm not gonna cover all 700 prophecies. Ain't nobody got time for all that. But one of the major prophecies was that the Messiah had to be able to prove that he was related to David. That he came out of the lineage, the the bloodline of, of David. Why? Because God told David that through your seed, right, through your line, your descendants, out of them is going to come the Messiah. And so that means if a Messiah shows up and he cannot connect himself back to David, well, peace out, right? You're not the Messiah. In other words, if your resume does not allow you to fulfill the role, then we're gonna have to open it back up for other candidates. So the genealogy is a big, big deal because without it, uh, in any case that Matthew would make about Jesus being the Messiah to the Jewish audience that he was speaking to, it would be shut down immediately. Because if he's not related to David, you might as well just keep on looking. So Matthew opens up and begins this detailed report because he's a a, a record keeper, tax collector after all. And in fact, he doesn't just say that he's related to David, he does one better. He doesn't just show that Jesus comes in the line of David. No, he goes all the way back to Abraham. He's like, I can show you the Ancestry.com report. I can show you, you know, who had who, who had who, and who had who, 42 generations worth to get to Jesus. Just look at his family tree. So then it makes all the sense in the world that Matthew would choose to begin the gospel of Jesus, the Christmas story, with his genealogy. However, that's where stuff making sense ends as far as his genealogy is concerned. Because all Matthew really needed to do was to demonstrate that Jesus was in fact related to David. And that should have been it, period, end of story. But what he did not need to do was be as honest as he was about Jesus's sordid history. Because let's just say, some of the characters in his genealogy, in the bloodline of Jesus are, uh, to put it mildly, blemishes on the family tree. And what I want you to wrap your heart and mind around today is that he doesn't hide it. Jesus doesn't hide the fact of where he came from. In fact, he, he kind of flaunts it. Because in, in fact, this, this genealogy, if in fact it is like a, a resume, come on, let's be honest, we, we could all probably think of a few bosses that we've had over the years who we would not necessarily want to, uh, a potential new boss to talk to in order for us to land the position that we are looking for, right? Like, like the one job that you had that you no-showed and, and no-called, you just kind of up and quit. Like you don't necessarily want a potential new boss to go back and talk to that old boss. Are you following me? Like why not? Because we wanna put our best foot forward. Now I'm sure you've never done this, but I'm told that some people will leave stuff out of their resume, uh, right? You could show up for an interview and they're like, so I see you're applying for the sales manager and I see that you worked for Erie Insurance from 1998 to 2013 and then your current employment started in 2019 to present. Hmm, what about these six years here in the middle? 
Like you didn't work at all there. There's no employment here. It's like six years. What, what happened? You're like, uh, I, I did a lot of relief work. I, I traveled with the Peace Corps. You know, I'm, I'm a helper. I, I just helped some people. I came into some money. I spent it all on orphans in Venezuela. But there's no one you can call. Uh, it's a secret relief organization. In fact, I shouldn't even be talking about it right now. Why do we do that? Because we tend to leave out what doesn't look so good. Well, the same is true for genealogies in biblical times. It would be very normal for you to, to put your very best foot forward and leave some things out. Prove it, Colby. Well, we know for a fact that Herod the Great, who was the king when Jesus was born, he actually struck some stuff from the record entirely because he wanted people to think of him in one way and not in another. But Jesus, in his ancestry, in his genealogy, he does the exact opposite. Look at it again with me, verse five. Verse five says this. Notice what we find here listed in the family tree of Jesus. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was, what's that name? Rahab. Rahab, Colby, why is that strange? Well, first of all, Rahab is a woman. And in the ancient world, you would not include the name of a woman. It generally is father after father after father or man after man after man. But Rahab shows up, and not only is she a woman, but she is the first of several women included in Jesus' genealogy. Why is that? Well, in part, it's because Jesus came into a world that treated women very poorly, and he always elevated them. In fact, Jesus would champion this, this brand new breakthrough idea where there is no more separation between male and female and Jew and Gentile or slave or free, that all would be one in Christ. Jesus, can I tell you something? No one has done more to elevate women than Jesus. However, that's not the only reason that you might wanna leave Rahab off your resume. Because not only is she a woman, but it introduces this right here, prostitution into the family tree. Prostitution. In fact, Rahab, when she is first introduced to us in the book of Joshua, she is introduced as Rahab the harlot. The harlot. A prostitute. Now, if, if you were writing a resume in the day, you would never include the fact that, yeah, in my family, there's prostitution. Yeah, it was my great, 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 great grandmother. Uh, you know, people paid her to have sex. Like, why would you do that? Why would you include that twisted part of the journey in your genealogy? But it doesn't stop there, because in his family tree, he also mentions, look at this, the names of Judah and Tamar in verse three. It says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So Tamar and Judah, they're the parents of these two little boys, Perez and Zerah. And the mom is Tamar, the dad was Judah. And you're like, all right, so why is that so weird? What's, what's awkward about that? Well, that introduces Scandal, scandal into the genealogy of Jesus. And I'm not talking about just any scandal. I'm talking about Jerry Springer kinds of, of scandal that it introduces. Because this is, I know some of you are, are you know, a little, a little teased right now. You're like, oh, tell me more about the scandal that you speak of. Well, I'll tell you, but you're not gonna like it. 
In fact, maybe right now is a good time to turn down the volume on the TV or the computer, maybe get the little ones out of the room. Uh, Judah was Tamar's father-in-law. You follow me? That's just dirty. But, 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 in his defense, he didn't know it was his daughter-in-law at the time. He just thought it was a prostitute. Are you kidding me? Jesus is like, hey, you wanna know why you should vote for me as the Messiah? Because in my genealogy, you'll find Judah and Tamar. I'm like, why would you talk about that, Jesus? Like, just say, I'm from one of the tribes of Israel. In fact, you don't need to go any further than David. Just stop at, at David. Well, now that we've brought up David, because our list is growing, is it not? We have prostitution and we have scandal that has been introduced. We might as well keep going. The next verse, verse six says this, that David was the father of Solomon. Okay, Good, let's just stop right there. That's all we needed to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus came from the line of David. No need to go on any, any longer, but it does. The genealogy reads this. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been, look at it, Uriah's wife. Wait, 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 this is ridiculous. Like, why are we bringing up previous marriages now? Objection, your honor, relevance, Right? If you insist on, on describing Solomon, you know, how Solomon came into the world, just say David and Bathsheba. I, I don't think it's necessary. In fact, most people would just say David and everyone would go, enough said, let's you know, leave it at that. But now we have introduced into the mix-up adultery. Adultery into the, the ancestry of, of Jesus because David slept with Uriah's wife, as mentioned, Bathsheba. And she became pregnant. She became pregnant. And so Uriah was one of David's mighty men. Uriah would protect David. Uriah was, was out to battle. And, and, and it, the Bible says Uriah's wife, right, who is now a widow. So let's just answer this question real quick. How exactly did Bathsheba become a widow? Because by mentioning Uriah, you're also bringing in this one, murder. Murder into the mix. Oh yeah, Merry Christmas everybody, murder. David, the man after God's own heart. In order to cover up the fact that he got Bathsheba's, or Uriah's wife pregnant, Bathsheba, had Uriah murdered told his commanding officer, sent him out on the front line where the battle is the heaviest, and then pull back, and Uriah was murdered. And David's the one that should have been out there, you know, fighting, but to cover it up, he has Uriah killed. So let's review real quick. We have now in the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, as written by Matthew the tax collector, prostitution in his bloodline, scandal, Adultery and murder. And murder. In fact, there's a lot more that we could point to in the genealogy of Christ. We just don't have time to do it. But what I want you to see is that he owns it. He owns it. He owns the, the blemishes. He owns the messiness of his family tree. And I think it's appropriate that it's a tree that would be so messy because after all, humanity was lost because of a tree in the first place, back in the garden in Genesis 2. God told Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in the garden. 
just not that tree, not the tree that's in the middle of the garden because the moment you do, he said, you will die, you will be dead. But the serpent came along, the enemy, the devil, and said to the woman in chapter three, verse four, he said, you're not gonna die, God's tricking you. He's holding out on you. He knows that, that the day you eat it, your eyes are gonna be open and he wants you to, to remain ignorant. He wants you to be stupid. God doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. So he was trying to trick her. And look at what verse six says. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and the tree was desirable for gaining wisdom, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate as well. Adam and Eve, knowing full well the the difference between right and wrong, chose in that moment to bring into their life the very thing that God promised would bring them death. And right there on the spot, they died. Now those of you that are familiar with the story, you're going, hey, hey, hang on a second. Don't they go on to live many more years? Aren't they just banished from the garden, but, but they go on to have a long life, they have kids. I remember Cain and Abel and all of that to which I would say yes. Well then Colby, why didn't, they didn't die. God didn't deliver on the promise. Can I tell you something? There's more than one kind of death. There's a physical death, and then there's also a spiritual death. And listen to what Adrian Rogers wrote in his book, Kingdom Authority, I love this. He says that, that uh, Adam was very much like a Christmas tree, cut off from his roots, brought into the house, decorated, in some ways may even look better in the house than in the wild. What happened when it was cut from the source of life will show sometime after New Year's. The truth of the matter is that it is often called a living tree, but it was dead when it was cut off from the source of life. So it is with man. See, we were separated from God by sin. Sin brings death in the sense that it disconnects us from God. Sin creates a chasm that we could not cross. And that's why Adam and Eve, when they were, they were banished from the garden, and now we've been trying to get back ever since then. And in that moment, they began to die physically. Yes, it took some time for that physical death to show up in their life, much like the, the tree that was cut down that's put in your living room. It takes time for it to, to look like it's dying, but our being disconnected from God resulted in a spiritual death. And it's why inside of us, all of us, there is a, a longing, there is a groaning that the things in this world just don't seem to, to satisfy. Uh, you've tried you, you know, money to fill that void or, or a car or the job or the girlfriend or the boyfriend or that, the abdominals, you know, I've got my body in shape at the gym, but we still feel like something's missing. There's a loneliness, right? There's an ache that you just can't shake. There's this unspoken sense that the world isn't enough. That's because the Bible says we were created to know God and to be known by him. And so disconnected from him, there will always be something that's missing. And here's what I know to be true about every person who's watching this right now. Listen, listen. Every single one of us, we are all dying physically. Like it's, it's the only thing that we all have in common we have different styles and different tastes in clothing and hobbies. We have different tastes in, in music. Some of us like rock, some of us like rap, some like death metal, others like country and need to repent and come to Jesus. 
but we all have different, different stuff that we like. But what is true of all of us is that we are all on a process that's going to lead to the grave. And it could be cancer, it could be a car accident, it could be stroke that gets us there. The only thing that's certain about life is that it will end. Merry Christmas, right? But to die spiritually means that you remain stuck, means that you remain separated from God forever. That's what the Bible describes as hell, by the way. And that's not what God wants for you. That's why the moment after Adam and Eve ate from the apple, when he was handing out the consequences of their actions, he did not just speak to Adam and Eve and give them their consequences, but he also turned to the serpent. And this is, this is what he said in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Check this out. It says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, yes, devil, you may bite his heel and cripple him, but you're gonna take on a head wound. And the Bible says that God promised the devil that I'm going to break your skull. In other words, yes, devil, you may bite his heel and cripple him, but you're gonna get a head wound. The Bible says that God promised the devil, I'm gonna break your skull. And I need to tell somebody today that Christmas is the moment that God made good on the promise by sending his son to this earth. And God's gift to you didn't go under the tree, it went on a tree. When God sent his son, born of a woman, born into this world, born into the bloodline that he intended into our mess. Listen, God's present to you is not a present at all, it's a person. You see, that's the power of Christmas. No, that's what Christmas is all about. This Christmas child that came into the world from from heaven to earth on a collision course with the cross, and on that cross, he paid the penalty for our sins. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is not a holiday. It's a rescue mission. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 2.24. He says, he himself bore our sins in body on the cross, on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, we have been healed. So he suffered and died as though he had personally committed all of those sins, all of our sins. Don't miss this. Jesus didn't just die for you. He died as though he were you, taking on your sins. Christmas is all about Easter and Jesus dying on the cross. But how many of you know he didn't stay dead? Come on, somebody, get excited online. He did not stay dead. He rose from the dead on the third day, ascended to heaven, and now knocks on the door of your heart. And if you let him into your life, he can forgive you, he can save you, he can change you from the inside out, no matter the mess that is your life, no matter the mess that is your ancestry, no matter the mess that you've created. Because he came and walked through this world, through the, the bloodline of prostitution, through a bloodline marked by scandal and by murder and by adultery, and in his blood he died as one of us so that he could say to you, I don't care what you've done, 
I don't care what you did. I've entered into your pain. I've entered into your disgrace. I've entered into your shame and guilt. And I became all the things of a broken humanity so that I could break the back of sin to pay for it in full so you can be forgiven, so you can be healed, so you can be set free. Christmas is not for those for from a certain background or class or genealogy, it is for everyone. Listen to me good. It's for everyone. Shepherds, wise men, carpenters, mechanics, businessmen, single mothers, convicts, liars, cheats, thieves. Jesus loves and gave his life for every single one of them. Now some of you, you might look at the genealogy of Jesus, and you might think, do I really think a guy who lived life and who his bloodline kind of looks like this can save me? Do I think a guy with this kind of of family history, with this kind of Ancestry.com or 23andMe report, this kind of guy could save me? I mean, I appreciate Colby the fact that he can relate to me, but can he really save me? Well, what I showed you, hey, hey, don't miss this. What I showed you was was his mother's side of the tree. But can I tell you, his father's side is a whole different story. On his father's side, it's not nearly long, as long of a list. On his father's side, it's one verse, John 1, 1. The Bible says this, this is the entire genealogy of his dad's side in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God that's his whole ancestry Jesus is Emmanuel God with us in flesh form that he wasn't just human he was also divine which is why Jesus is the only one who with one hand could grab the hand of simple humanity with one hand could grab the hand of Colby and the hand of Kristen and the hand of Lisa or Rosemary or, or Bob or, or Jack or, or Bill or, or Damien or Darren or Derek. With one hand could grab a simple humanity with the other hand could grab the hand of his father and could bring them back together could bring back the connection that was lost in the garden. He's the only one that could bring us back to God, the only one who could bring us to heaven because Jesus is not a a good way to get to heaven. He's the only way to get to heaven. He's the only one, fully God, fully man, that could do what he's done. And so I, I think that leads me to a really important question for some of you. Maybe the most important question of your life, maybe the most important question of this this Christmas certainly is this, would you like to give your life to Jesus? Like, would you like to right now be pardoned from your sins? Would you like to accept him into your heart and go to heaven when you die, to live in this world with peace and hope and courage and strength that comes from the Holy Spirit living in and through your life, able to, for you to live out your life and all the plans that God has for you? 
Like Christmas isn't just about going to heaven when you die, you need to know that. It's about having heaven in you while you live. So that's the question for you today. Would you like to give your life to Jesus? And by the way, you're the only one that can make that decision. And no one else can make it for you. Your, your parents can't make it for you. Your sister can't, your brother can, or your uncle, or the fact that you grew up in a church. None of that makes the decision for you. It's up to you. Why? Here's why. God will not violate your free will. He won't force you to accept his son and, and take that free gift of salvation and go to heaven. He gives you the choice. So you have the responsibility for your soul. And maybe for some of you watching right now, you want to take that responsibility and you want to pray this prayer and you want to be pardoned from your, your sin. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to bow your head, close your eyes and give you a chance right now to give your heart to Jesus. But some of you might be saying, what does that, what does that mean exactly? Colby, give my heart to Jesus. Um, I don't know if you've ever sold a car to someone or you had to sign over the title, transferring ownership. Giving your life to Jesus is like saying, I transfer the ownership of my soul to you. I accept the payment that you made for my life at the cross. And I accept the power of your resurrection to give me the ability not to fear death or the grave, but to know that Jesus Christ, as he rose from the dead, so will I be raised from the dead and have eternal life with him. Christmas is all about Easter. Don't miss that. It's the power of life and death. It's the power of him living inside of you. And maybe that's why you're watching right now. Just bow your head, close your eyes. The Holy Spirit of God is knocking on the door of your heart and he will not force his way in. You have to let him in. In fact, the Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If you just open up that door and let me in, he will come inside. He will cleanse you from your sin, give you a, a new heart, a fresh start, and pardon you from the sin that separates you from him. And the way you do that is through prayer. Pray something like this. Jesus, right now, I accept your sacrifice on the cross as payment for my sin. I know that, that Christmas is, in fact, all about Easter. Because I could not get to you, you came to me. And you experienced life as I experienced it. You had a messy history, a messy past, and I have the same thing. But you came to set me free from shame and guilt that I carry. And so right now, I surrender my life. Just why don't you tell them that wherever you are. I surrender my life to you. I confess you as Lord and as Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.